This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Uh, We all know how important the Internet is to our daily lives, but we're constantly adjusting to changes that happen within it. One of the uh, areas of greatest interest for hundreds of millions of people is their link to forms of art, whether it be music or video, pictures, whatever. It has made many people more creative than probably they ever knew they were. And that's part of the reason why author and New York Times contributor Virginia Heffernan thinks that the Internet is an amazing form of art. She looks at that as part of a thesis in her book, Magic and Loss, the Internet as Art. And Virginia joins us on the show right now. Welcome, Virginia. Hey there. Great to have you. Thanks very much for coming on so today. Good to be here. Thank you. Uh, before we get into the book, uh, I, you know, going through it, great stories, especially in the introduction. So I have to ask, how is your Latin these days? Um, okay, so what you're referring to is a really <laughs> traumatic moment where um, my father, an English um, professor at Dartmouth, um, told me he thought my prose was getting a little glib. I wanted to be an academic, and he thought yep. I was um, sounding too much like LOLOMG language in my, um, in my you know, would-be academic writing. And I said, um, he said, you know, Oh, we just lost the line. Okay. It's those lines up in New Hampshire. So we'll get her back on the line, and we'll finish that story in just a second. Uh, But it is an interesting story, and we'll talk to Virginia about that in in just a second. We're joined uh, in just a minute by Virginia Heffernan. Uh, The book that she has written called Magic and Loss, The Internet as Art, uh, really delves into how the internet has changed so many things that we do. And and I'm going to ask her in just a second about language, because that is an amazing shift that we have seen uh, in, in terms of our society uh, over the last uh, decade or so. Uh, as she mentioned, and it's, it really plays well in with this story, uh, about how the language we use each and every day and how we communicate to people each and every day is uh, is quite a bit different. Uh, so we're getting Virginia back on the phone. Nope. Okay. So we've got a little bit of an issue with that. Uh, so we'll get Virginia back on the, on the phone here in just a second. Uh, her book, uh, was a a great book to, to go through, uh, and, uh, and really get a a sense. I think we all understand how the internet has changed things and we've got Virginia back on and I'll finish that comment in a minute. Virginia, welcome back. Okay. You were about halfway through that story. You had gotten to the point where your, your dad thought your language was a little too LOL, uh, you know, that type of stuff. Absolutely. And what he said was it's gotten a little meretricious. And I said, dad, what does meretricious mean? And he said, Oh, it means like a prostitute from the Latin word meretric. Good word for all of us to learn. Yeah. Hard word to hear when you're a daughter. It, um, so, I, yeah. It, I made the resolution at that point that I was going to have to uh, tone down the Meritrix. <laughs> I've never had that conversation <laughs> with one of my parents, but I've gotten dressed down like that on my language for my parents as well. But but let's start, yeah. let's start there because it is amazing how language and how we talk and communicate with people has just it's almost done a 180 
within the last decade or two because of the influence of the Internet and obviously in the last decade or so because of the influence of social media. You know, it's extraordinary. As you said in your introduction, we are almost without knowing it, making and consuming art. And I mean the least likely people, the scientists, the business people. You know, every time you post on Instagram, you are doing photography. You're distributing your photography. You're developing a photograph. You're at times filtering and doctoring a photograph. And that's, uh, you know, that's an art that people used to go to school for and really have to study. Um, and yet we're all, we've all developed a knack for it. Those of us who like Twitter also know how hard it is and how you need the focus of a poet to get 140 characters to <laughs> say something expressive and consequential. Um, so we don't like to call it doing art. Maybe there's something too twee about that. Yeah. But um, we still are doing something that conforms to, um, you know, the the rituals and patterns of making art. Ha- has it has it made language worse o- over oh, the uh, over the last decade or so? I, I mean, I guess I shouldn't even say that. It's like how much has it has it really taken away from language? Well, you know, I. Uh, people love to decry the the um, demise of the language, but I, you know, right now we are in a period where language is proliferating. It used to seem that there would never be, you know, a brand new language. In fact, we're seeing with first of first emoticons and then emoji. As you probably know, there are whole books now written in emoji yeah. that we have a pictographic language that we are all inventing right now. You know, someone tried the other day to say, well, uh, you know, emojis just aren't as expressive as, you know, the regular Roman letters we use. And I thought, spoken like someone who has never had an emoji showdown on text. <laughs> well, well, and, and realistically, it's I think it's only going to get worse. And I say that because uh, of the changes that Facebook made, uh, you know, within the last few months to add emojis. So people can have reactions to, you know, to yes. Facebook posts. So, I mean, this well, is this is just going to ramp up or better. OK, I mean, there's nothing intrinsically worse or less literate about pictographic languages like Chinese. Um, in fact, okay. you know, some people consider them the height of literacy and making up a new one means you have opportunities to forge new metaphors. I remember the first time on the 4th of July, someone sent me um, a British flag, the Union Jack emoji, with a gun next to it, pointing at it, right? Hmm. 4th of July. And, you know, that takes a little bit of time to get, and it also takes the mind of a poet or a visual mind in order to conceive it. It seems like a small thing, but when you see it everywhere, when you see a whole new idiom being invented in a place like Twitter, Tumblr, you know, Facebook. Facebook, you know, it's like I sort of I say in the book, saying that we are in an age of, you know, saying that Twitter spells the death of poetry is right. like saying, you know, guitars spell the end of music. That we have a format that asks that all ordinary people invites ordinary people with no particular training in formal writing to conform to a form, you know, tighter, way tighter yeah. than haikus and, and sonnets. Well, and it's it, it's just, as you kind of alluded to, it's just a different way uh, of communicating. It's the it's the 21st century version of, of the communication compared to what, what people did, you know, 100 years ago. Absolutely. And, you know, for, for those of us who, um, you know, t- take some interest in in, very, in original speech or in creative speech, playful speech. We have all these different 
forums for it. Um, you know, and even super emotionally charged speech. You know, there's nothing so, neutered about language on the internet, which could have been, a, you know, another direction it could have gone. Super polite, super careful. Anyone who's been to a YouTube comment section knows that there is nothing care, careful about that mob, yeah. you know, kind of polyglot language that, you know, some of us really appreciate. Your interest in this in this realm really started when with with, with your dad and and the and those comments and 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 how this has all kind of developed, especially over the last ten to fifteen years. Well, you know, like a lot of um, people, you know, a great deal younger than I am, I sort of proceeded on two tracks. So I studied the humanities in school and did a PhD in English, but at the um, but as a child, there was an accident of, compu- of you know, computing history that landed a mainframe computer in my small New England hometown. And um, a bunch of girls, including me, dialed into that mainframe to see what was going on. We played and we soon discovered a chat, a, you know, a chat game or a chat, uh, chat room style thing. Yeah. It wasn't even called the Internet in those days. This was before MySpace, before Facebook. It was before Twitter. Um, and we had no idea what we were doing except that we were talking to people. We were using handles, like mine was Athena. Um, I remember <laughs> finding Apollo when I was 11 and talking a lot to Apollo. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and we were doing something that's been written out of um, Internet history, namely creating digital culture. This is 1979 we're talking about. Yeah, and and certainly it's uh, that was a little bit before uh, we, you know this really kicked into gear. We're talking with Virginia Heffernan. The book that she has put together is called Magic and Loss: The Internet as Art. Your comments are welcome at eight four four Wharton eight four four nine four two seven eight six six is the number to give us a call. It's interesting. You really do bre- you break this down into kind of the the core basics uh, of the internet and and. We've talked a little bit about the the language part of it, but talk a little bit. You talk about the text part of this as well, because it's it's how it's how these companies really perceive what our language is going to be now and going forward. Yeah, the, and you know, there's nothing banal about the languages I was just saying on the internet. It's it's inventive, it's creative, it's strange, um, and you know, if you don't create a certain amount of um, texture and frison to what you're saying on the internet, you can't, at least where marketing's concerned, attract any attention. That's where you get authenticity. That's where you get traction. You know, I was comparing um, Donald Trump's uh, tweets to those of Ted Cruz and some of his opponents. Yeah. You know, Ted Cruz will, will say, I'd like, like to thank Governor so-and-so for his endorsement. But Trump is a really good Twitter player, whether we like it or not. And he'll say, you know, these hilarious things that sound like, you know, the pronouncements of a pharaoh that are, you know, something like, um, my favorite is, uh, America, if I'm elected, all our problems will be reversed. Yeah, right. (laughs) You know, that takes guts. And that takes a knowledge of how Twitter works, of what stands out from the noise. And, uh, you know... I think, you know, as the pollsters have been confused about the Trump candidacy, those of us who followed him on Twitter for a long time haven't. You know, he knows how to cut through the noise and companies that do that um, can thrive, too. He he does. Uh, I will say he does know how to how to play that game. But I also mm-hmm. say he probably has a lot of good people that that help him with that as well. 
Well, you know, the 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 part of the difference between his candidacy and, and and Obama's and Obama's presidency, it goes to the medium. And you know, the yeah. book that I the book is really takes seriously, you know, that line that's sometimes a punchline, Marshall McLuhan's line, the medium is the message. If you're talking on Twitter and you're Donald Trump, you want to make it seem like you're writing them all yourself. Yeah. You're completely unvarnished. You're going crazy. You're like a jazz musician on a tear. And if you are working on YouTube, cooler medium, like Obama's always done, you're surrounded by executive producers. They're yeah. keeping you at di- a distance from the electorate. And those are a function of the medium as much as the man or the you know campaign itself. But it is interesting that you know we've come to a time, and especially as you said with with President Obama, the last two uh, election cycles that he ha- has had, and, and now this one, where the medium is unbelievably a, a massive piece to your election run. I, I mean, you can't you can't not have it if if you're going to be successful, whoever the candidate is these days. Can you imagine? I know it was. I mean, and it was such a short time ago, in the last election cycle. It, it's really hard to imagine. Um, you know, Mitt Romney, and I know he did. He did get on Instagram, but really hard to think of. You know, the old-fashioned, super dignified, super remote candidates jumping on something like Instagram or even something called Twitter. Yeah. yeah. You know. <laughs> well, it, yeah, it, and it is. And we're talking with Virginia Heffernan. The the book that she is uh, put together is called Magic and Lost, the Internet as Art. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. You also talk about video and music. I'll get to music in a second. Uh, yeah. Video, man, it, it's amazing to see how video has kind of enhanced our, our lifestyles. Obviously, with, with the fact that a majority of Americans have a smartphone and have a video camera on that smartphone and are, right. will, and are willing to post it on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter, I, I mean, everybody is a filmmaker these days. Everybody's a filmmaker. I love how you said that. And we have, you know, incredible cameras on our smartphones and we have lots of different angles we can work them at. You know, you can tilt the phone. Obviously, you can flip it around and yep. do self-portraits. Um, uh, and you can, you know, it, it just gives a lot of freedom to amateur filmmakers, which we're becoming. You know, video is what blew me away at the beginning of Web 2.0, you know, the name given to the yep. time when new broadband made, made video and social networking possible. Um, I looked at some of the videos on YouTube, and I couldn't believe how many there were. Practically on the first day, the place was teeming with videos. Yep. Um, I, um, you know, and I saw some of these amateur homemade videos, and I had been reviewing television as a critic at the New York Times for years, but I had never seen something so captivating as these short homemade videos. Well, what's amazing is that this kind of a, of a push has has changed a couple of different industries. One, yes. it, it, ha- it has all but made the newspaper industry do a complete 180 at this oh, point. God. You know, the newspaper yeah. the newspaper industry is not what you and I knew it was 30 years ago. It has to be, and it's the line that, that everybody uses, but it's true, content is king. Yeah, that's right. And and video content is king. I yeah. mean, the, you know, the, the um, 
you know, sort of accidental, and this is why I say the medium is the message, fact about video that you can graft very successfully pre-roll advertising um, to it makes it yeah. a much more, it's, um, it's a tighter integration with advertising. So that's part of the reason that um, media companies like it. The reason that company companies like it is this funny thing where every company, and I'm sure you've heard this and talk about it, has become a media company. Absolutely, so yeah. There was a point, you know, not that far into my career writing about online video, where a major vacuum cleaner manufacturer tried to hire me. Now, what in the world would they want with me? Well, they said, we see ourselves as a media company that incidentally sells vacuum cleaners. Oh, how many, co- watch- how many companies say that these days? A lot of them do. Yeah. It's like the whole manufacturing side is yeah. second to the side of them that produces video and content. And it's really an extraordinary revolution because as jobs are shrinking in, um, in traditional media, um, other companies are rising up to style themselves as media companies. Well, and I'll throw one out there that that is applicable in my life because not only doing this show, I also do some some freelance work broadcasting sports. And you think yeah. about how sports has changed because Amazing. of the additional online content that is on there. I mean, every league Absolutely. has their own network. Every league has their own online content to it. Mm-hmm. Every conferencing college does. The Ivy League. The Ivy League, the pillar of, mm-hmm. of education, has their mm-hmm. own digital content where they put all their different games. And in some respects, it's support. Wow, it's right? it's supporting Title IX so that both men's and women's sports can get e- equal visual time on the internet for family, friends, or whoever wants to watch it. Uh, that's amazing. I mean, one. I'm glad you bring up sports because one of the hallmarks of online video is that it the best of it plays in every language. You know, some people yeah. say that um, some people say that it call it the lingua franca, the universal language, the online video, and I don't think it's a surprise because you know people are are anywhere that Google's available, people are streaming video from YouTube. Um, the I don't think it's an accident that the first most popular videos are, you know, guitar demos, which were the ones yeah. that I liked the most, yeah. and and almost mime shows. You know, I don't know if you remember Coke and Mentos. People would put little Mentos tabs in Coca-Cola bottles and watch them explode. <laughs> Why true. would people want to do that? <laughs> there was exactly. rich. You know, you could watch Law and Order on television with amazing scripts. Well, partly because you didn't have to have them dubbed or subtitled. Yeah, it is. It is amazing, and and the the video element. You know, people will get more creative as we go along. In some respects, uh, it's a it's a little bit. Oh God, I'm I'm blanking on the movie now, and I can't think of it. Uh, you know, not. Well, I'll come up with that. But people will think of some of the stupidest things to put online. You know, they'll they'll do a variety of different videos with their friends of them doing stupid stuff, and it will draw a million, two million views. Absolutely, the yeah fail videos um, are you know one of the f- funny genres. I mean, who at ABC in you know 1990 would have thought that it, there would be a compelling subgenre, micro genre of videos just of people failing at something by the way, into a wall. By the way, right? by the way, Jackass was the was the film I was thinking of. Oh nice. I'm glad you found it. Yep, Jackass, the, exactly. That's that's the kind of uh, that was like the proto sort of fail videos. Well, uh, now let's switch it because we got a couple minutes left to, to the music yeah. industry because I, I mean, you think of how the music industry as a whole has changed 
because yeah. of, of the internet. You know, uh, the the whole thing with Taylor Swift and, and, and artists making sure that they have control of their music. And literally... Beyonce, Tidal, ex- you know, Jay-Z. All, mm-hmm. the, all the online streaming services, all, you know, mm-hmm. the, the industry has, has, has almost totally changed. Yeah. Well, the thing is that, you know, a lot of times we uh, in the media are trying are trying understandably to clock the differences that digitization has made in our own own work and our own industries. And that is definitely a huge part of it. But you also think that this is consumer driven and culturally driven in a lot of ways. So, you know, Steve Jobs introduces iTunes. He wasn't the first, obviously, to start distributing music in, M- in the MP3 format, the, yeah. you know, heavily compressed um, digital signal that replaced um, vinyl and, and CDs um, and easy to circulate. But once that happened, you know, it was um, suddenly you could listen to any song you want at any time um, in any sequence. <laughs> And um, one of the reasons the book is called Magic and Loss, we've been talking about all these good things about the Internet. The loss that I first felt when I listened to an MP3 recording or representation of music was that something was missing when I listened to music on iTunes, on the iPod. Yeah. And I, I can't, couldn't put my finger on it. And so a lot of this book, and certainly the chapter on music, is my effort to talk to people, to analyze the difference between the vinyl sound and the MP3 sound, to figure out what does digitization cost us? And, and it, it has cost us to, to some degree, correct? It absolutely has, and it is really amazing to see how the culture has addressed <laughs> that loss, and that is it has pushed back. You talk about the music industry, sure. vinyl sales are through the roof, live music is how everybody makes their money, all the bands make their money now, yep. live appearances. Who would have expected that? We thought that recorded music would be the future forever in the in the last century, and <laughs> what's happened is the return of the repressed. Well, the Rolling Stones make more money touring now than they ever have. Just the just the fact, and this will you know date me a little bit, is the fact that you know a couple of weeks back I, I said to my ten year old daughter about uh, I forget who the artist was, but I said, yeah, I've got them on CD back at back at my place. My ten year old daughter goes, what's a CD? Oh God, I know. <laughs> I mean, you know that rapid change that separates us from our children is ultimately super healthy for the culture. Sure. What you want are kids that are finding their own way. You yep. know, I just, I love to, to the extent that I can even understand a bit of it, I love a tour of my kids' Minecraft worlds. Yep. There is nothing more interesting than hearing them describe, well, here's where I, you know, my dog killed my sheep. And, you know, you're looking <laughs> at this really abstract world. Yep. I mean, it must have been like, you know, parents trying, trying to understand punk music or rock and roll or before that jazz. It is interesting. And we're talking with Virginia Heffern and wrapping up here. Uh, it is interesting to see how much that uh, this has all changed kind of our society. But seemingly with the way that, that things are innovated and, and things are changing each and every day, we're still probably, you know, getting ready for another cycle that will come around the bend in the next five to 10 years. Or, yeah, or um, quicker. Kevin Kelly, Kevin Kelly has a great book out right now called The Inevitable. He's one of the, you know, they call him OG of the Internet. And he um, says this is actually the best time to be launching a business, the best time to be launching products. Yeah. Because the world is all ahead of us in, in worlds, yeah, that we haven't conceived of yet. They're just as mysterious to us as apps were yeah. 15 years ago. 
you know, virtual reality, Internet of Things, wearables, but maybe it'll be none of those things, you know? Maybe it'll be Mars. Maybe it'll be, you know, more driverless cars. Um, <laughs> we don't know, and that's what's exciting. Virginia, great to have you on the show. Thank you very much for coming on. The book is Magic and Loss, the Internet as Art. Thank you again. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.